In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, our scriptures give us two stories of people who have done well in life. The first is the ancient teacher of Ecclesiastes, and the second is a parable of a rich man whose land produced abundantly. Though these texts were written centuries apart, they seem to tell us a similar story. Vanity of vanity, says the teacher, all is vanity. Most people think of Ecclesiastes mostly for its most well-known passage about the seasons. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, etc. But if you've ever read around that passage, you may not have exactly felt your heart quickened with encouragement in the faith. What do mortals get from all their toil and strain with which they toil under the sun? For all their days are full of pain, and their work is a vexation. Even at night their minds do not rest. This also is vanity. You could be forgiven for not feeling stirred or inspired this morning by that word. But for some reason, I've always loved Ecclesiastes, so I hope I can shed a little more light into what the ancient teacher has to say about our lives. The first important point for us to think about this morning is what the teacher means by vanity. The word vanity holds a different kind of meaning to us as modern readers than what the text intends. It's not about being vain, having some kind of excessively high view of yourself. It's not even exactly vanity in the sense of total meaninglessness. The Hebrew word that's actually used is habel, meaning vapor or breath. It's the basis for the name Abel in Genesis 4, perhaps indica indicating his brief life or existence in the story. The ancient teacher is trying to say that all of our toils are like vapor, like smoke or breath. It's there one moment and gone the next. It's a sentiment meant to show how hard we reach for things, trying to catch something and hold it firmly in our hands. But the reality is that whatever we reach for, we can never truly grasp and keep forever. Everything in this life is like vapor, there one moment and gone the next. Our second figure in the text this morning is the rich man of Jesus's parable. His land has produced abundantly, so much so that he doesn't even have enough room in the barns that he has, so he decides to tear those down and build bigger ones to store up his abundance for himself. Jesus tells us that the man thinks to himself, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Well, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Who among us doesn't wish for that? Who doesn't strive for security comfort and safety. And I really don't believe that this parable is meant to tell us that those things are wrong or bad. And in and of themselves, that is. 
The issue at stake in this parable is not the material wealth itself, though in other gospel passages, Jesus does have a lot to say about that. But this parable is more concerned with the rich man's mindset. He seems to be completely unaware of anything outside of himself. He makes no mention of family members or friends. He has no mind for neighbors who may be struggling or even starving. His only intention is to store up his abundance simply for himself to enjoy. And Jesus pushes his hearers to consider what God is demanding of him and what God demands of us. God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Our ancient teacher of Ecclesiastes asks a similar question. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun and see all is vapor and chasing after wind. I hated all my toil in which I had toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to those who come after me. And who knows whether they will be wise or foolish. Both passages leave us wondering about the point of our labor They're a warning against putting all of life's proverbial eggs in one basket. In this case, the basis is economic success and the accumulation of material wealth. Again, neither passage is explicitly condemning those things as inherently bad. The caution is more about where we're placing all of our identity and worth. In the ancient world, the soul is meant to be your very essence or being. So when the rich man turns to his soul and asks about his ample goods, he's putting all of his being, all of his worth in his material abundance that he intends to share with not another soul. But the wisdom of the ecclesiastical teacher reminds us that to put our worth in these things is to try and hold on to the wind. It will slip through our fingers time and time again. You're probably still wondering what makes me love Ecclesiastes. I like the reminder that no matter how hard we work, no matter how much we store up for ourselves or try to hold on to things, nothing lasts forever. I find it comforting because it reminds me to hold all things in life with open hands rather than clenched fists. It makes me think of my dad's undying love for the Cowboys. My dad was a sports anchor on local news when I was growing up, so our lives were full of chasing stadiums and watching Sunday football. My dad is a lifelong Cowboys fan, and what he'll be sure to tell anyone is that the Cowboys will break your heart. His fandom has become like that of the ancient teacher, knowing that relying on the Cowboys for a win to make you happy for the week is like chasing after the wind. (laughs) Now, when we watch together in the fall, he mostly paces around the house, arms folded, holding back any reactions, good or bad. He holds his hope with open hands, because after 60 years of loving the cowboys, he knows he can't rely on them to give half of the year its meaning. But beyond football, who hasn't at some point in their life wondered, what's the point? What's it all for? 
who hasn't laid awake at night anxious about the future. These passages are an honest look at the human condition. What gives our lives meaning if we can't hold on to anything? The comfort of holding things with open hands is to know, with all of the blessed assuredness offered to us by God, that all has been given to us will return back to God. It's vapor to us in our finite and mortal existence, but all of life, all of this world, comes from God and will return to God. Everything we hold, everything we love, even our very selves, belong to God. So when we hold it all with open hands, we don't experience the same kind of grief of having anything ripped away from our clenched fists. We offer it back with open hands. And God handles the things we love with more tenderness and care than we ever could. Let us find a way to be encouraged by that tenderness of God. Amen.